Hey, yo, Kina, what are we doing here? What? <laughs> what are we doing here? Oh, we're divesting from whiteness. Welcome to the holiday bonus episode of the Divesting from Whiteness podcast. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with Andrea Miller, who is the host of the Her Story podcast. And we had what I think is a pivotal conversation in relationship to the ways in which whiteness as a system of power tends to hurt the people who identify as having white racialized identities. And it is not a coincidence that I am debuting this episode um, this week while I'm spending so much time talking about white on white crime. And a lot of people might feel like, whoa, Kina, it's the holiday season. Why are you talking about something that could be so, so sad? It's a downer. And I made a decision to have this conversation during this season because the juxtaposition is so, so strong here. Most of us are our most charitable selves during this season. We will bring our families to feed the housing insecure, the food insecure. We will give money to a variety of nonprofit organizations to try to meet the needs of some of the people in our communities that have the least. And these are all amazing things, full stop. No one should feel bad about giving to charity and extending gratitude by offering such amazing things to fellow humans. But I want us to spend time thinking about how can we take this season and multiply that across days, weeks, months, and years? How can we be our fullest selves, not just during the holidays, not just during winter solstice, but how can we, how can we apply some of these values live that we are living with right now year long? And so during this episode, I really want you to reflect on the ways that whiteness has harmed your life and has created violent expectations, violent values, and violent behaviors that no longer serve you, your friends, your partner, or your family, and most importantly, your community. And so with that in mind, I want to challenge everyone to listen to this episode carefully, but also think about as we head into the new year, what are the things you're going to do to embody value and make it practice in your regular life? I encourage you to spend time thinking about that. And one of the easiest ways you can start to think about embodying practice is joining our Patreon community. You can find this information available on the podcast web podcast website. So I wish you a happy, happy holiday season, and I'll see you on the other side of the episode. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your, your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. As long as you got a sit-down philosophy, you'll have a sit-down thought pattern. And as long as you think that old sit-down thought, you'll be uh, in some kind of sit-down action. They'll have you sitting in everywhere. Break the chain, break the chain, break the chains. I'll be trying to find a way to break the chains. 
DFW listeners, we have a special. I say that every episode, but that's because all the people that I talk to are special. We have a special treat. So today we have Andrea Miller, who is the host of Her Story Speaks podcast. And this is the first time that I've had Andrea on the podcast. Uh, we've been in conversation in the last couple of months about like her joining me, me joining her. And so I'm so excited because we manifested something today. And for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to say that one of the reasons I chose to have Andrea on the show is because I am always deeply appreciative of the things that they share about spirituality and parenting and living. And Andrea doesn't make me cringe. So <laughs> like that, that, please consider that a high oh, honor. Because the standard is so low. <laughs> the standard, right? It's like, uh, how do you pick your guests? People don't oh, make me cringe. Right. Because the cringe factor in our life is so huge. So many cringy people, right? It's right, like, especially when you're trying to have some white guests on. I can, I can. <laughs> look. Who are you? T- look, cr- look, the cringe is real. And so oh. I'm so excited to have you. I think we're going to have an amazingly thoughtful, personal conversation today. But I would also love to have you tell people who you are in the world. And like, you know, the bio is such a weird thing in general, right? Like, mm-hmm. what do we center first? The things we do, who we are, the way we take our coffee. So. Right. That's why I always give my guests the opportunity to name for themselves who they are in the world today. Okay. So, right. The bio is a weird thing and I never know what my guests are going to tell me. So I'm just going to start with the, who I am and where I live and all that basic stuff. So right now I live in Kansas city area. Um, we moved back here a year and a half ago. I was born and raised here, but haven't lived here for a long time. Um, and that was after living about seven, eight years in the Bible belt which is what really derailed me and made me start tearing apart everything and realizing how much whiteness was the center of things, if you're, if I'm being honest. Um, but I live here with my husband of 23 years, two dogs and two daughters, 12 and 19. Um, and yes, I'm the host of Her Story Speaks podcast that I started, I started it like three years ago. Um, and it's, and I've only been on Instagram about half of that time. And I've just People that have listened, I don't know if anybody's listened from the beginning because my podcast has changed a lot as I have changed. Um, And you wouldn't have had me on the podcast three years ago who I was. So (laughs) I probably put some cringy stuff out there. And don't put it past me to put more cringy stuff out there either. You want to to keep the cringe factor of possibility. Gotcha. Right. So I'm not putting it past me. I am not a white exceptional person at all. But I mean, I'm really somebody that has just learned a lot and deconstructed a lot of my faith and my white privilege, all of that over the last couple of years. Um, And I am trying to just be vulnerable and put it out there. And it's hard because I am an introvert and I like to just keep to myself and 
like we were talking earlier, like these sort of things make me super anxious, but I know part of it is just getting okay with being uncomfortable. And part of not centering yourself is being, it's not about me being uncomfortable. It's about like having this conversation and decentering whiteness and anti-racism work. And you're gonna be uncomfortable in it, especially as a white person, but you need to put that, put that aside. So Thank that's you. a little bit. Mm -hmm. That leads us to the check-in question too, okay. right? So one of the things I always say is context shapes everything. So what is shaping your life the most today? I would say, and I let you did give me a few questions in advance and I appreciate that because I got had time to think of them. So I love this question. Um, definitely shaping my life or I'd say three big things. One books, I feel like 2020 and being moving and quarantining and losing a lot of friends was like books, um, books, especially by non-white males. <laughs> Um, and women of color, um, because I've spent a whole life learning from white males or white women. So, and I still continue to learn the most from books written by people that don't look like me and might not believe exactly like me. Um, also just truth telling women, real friendships, I think are starting to finally come in my life. And that, um, is just playing a big, a big part of shaping me and figuring out who I am. Um, I'm going to be 46 next month. And I feel like that midlife crisis thing is kind of real because I'm all like, <laughs> wait, what? What was I actually doing and believing? And so those are the things that are starting to shape me a lot. Thanks for sharing that, Andrea. You already said so much that I just want to dig into. You know, so I'm going to tell you a short story and then I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay. So I am formally by trade I, it's so weird but uh i both of my degrees undergrad and graduate are within communication and more specifically my specialization would be rhetoric the field of rhetoric which is like public address all those public communications so i have spent a lot of time quoting dead white guys um aristotle socrates cicero um and in my field we talk a lot about the greeks the romans um like as as part of the origin of rhetoric right and a few years ago i was getting ready to prepare for a new semester of teaching public speaking and i don't remember exactly what was the epitus i think it was a conversation that i had with a dear colleague of mine by the name of Dr. Ashley Hall. And I said, there's some shit here that I'm not, that I'm missing. And sure enough, guess what? Those folks are not at the origin story of rhetoric. I was like, damn it. And so I, I did some changes to like, cause usually, I start the semester with those dead white guys. So I made some changes and I introduced some names of some Africans, names that I could not pronounce. But I was like, this is at the beginning, right? And I only bring that up because I imagine that there are lots of things and a lot of dead white guys names that we say and even cite as this, like the origin of things the knower of things. And if you peel that back, 
you're like, huh, there was more there. There was more there. And so the comparison I'd like to make is if we study our family tree, you know, you said you're a parent, you know what I'm saying? And one day you might have grandchildren who are like, okay, who's Pop Pop? Who's my Mimi? I don't know what name you and your husband are going to go by, but I'm just saying like, you know, it would be pretty horrific if they think that you and your husband are like the origin because there's more story there. Mm -hmm. There's your parents. There's your partner's parents. They're their parents. You get what I'm saying? Like there's so much more. And so one of the things that I think whiteness does is it shortens our timelines. And then just everything starts with the shit white guys did. Right? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, that's so much yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. Right, yeah. And then everything that happened before them, those people don't matter. Those names don't matter. Mm-hmm. And so part of divesting from whiteness for me has been like reclaiming, resituating the timeline and saying, actually, these people belong here. And so just for the folks who might be listening who are saying, well, are you throwing away Socrates and Aristotle? No, because Socrates and Aristotle, Plato, they did do things. And we could argue if those things were valuable or invaluable. That's a whole nother conversation. But they are part of the timeline. They're just not at the start of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so I would love to hear your thoughts. Oh, my thoughts on all of that. Okay. a lot of thoughts. And I mean, we see it all the time. I listened to your podcast with Letty. I mean, we see it all the time of one with Christianity and two with the whitewashed history of this country. And I feel like, you know, I've been sold a bill of goods my whole life and pretty much everybody has, it's my age. Um, as far as this country's history, when did it start? I mean, we saw the last president try to negate the whole 1619 thing. But even before that, I mean, I think Christianity has done the most white Christianity has done the most superb job of being like, no, this is when it started with white Adam and Eve. And, but if you go back, I mean, I've probably been reading way too much and too deep, but I mean, there is a whole, if you look at Africa and religions, I mean, Africa in itself was such a flourishing country where the mother goddess, and again, I'm probably going to go too deep, but I think that is the whiteness that we look so narrow-sided of this white American exceptionalism that it all started with us. It all started here. This land was not explored. I mean, I think that is just the crutch of it. Like everything starts with us. And so we're the best and there's so, so much more. And I think if you don't know that and are aware of that, it's that that's why we continue to center whiteness and white supremacy reigns because we think we started it all. We think it all started with us and we're the best and that's the standard. Um, but I could go deeper with you, but for the sake of time, I'll just, (laughs) I'll I'll stop. But I am reading some deep, I'm doing a deep dive read on, like I said, the goddesses and goddess culture and starting in Africa and the religions and the, the, the land there way, way, way before that was so, because of the matriarchal society there was so advanced. And we like to think just like we thought, think that native Americans or indigenous people were quote savages, like that African people were needing whiteness but it's such such a lie that we've all bought into um so yeah 
I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but I could. I could. No, I mean, there's no, there's no right or wrong. And I think that's so amazing. Um, shout out to Truth's Table, um, which is a podcast that is amazing and features three amazing Black women. And I, I it's embarrassing to say this now because I feel like as a Black person who's been a follower of Christ for my whole life, I should have known it, but I didn't. It was at Truth's Table and there was an event that they did with, oh gosh, uh, the Jude 3 Project, I think, yeah, um, where there was a talk and basically they bought in speakers. And I'd love to tell you my whole life, I just thought that like, anyway, but finding out that the Ethiopian people were some of the earliest witnesses to, to Christ and uh, embodied experience, was just a revelation because what that means is this assertion that like the white missionaries had to come to Africa and all these places to share the testimony of Christ. It's like, oh no, that was not necessary. It was not necessary. Right. It was not necessary. And moreover than that, this is a thought I had last year. No, maybe this year, either way. When people talk about going into like these very, um, indigenous parts of the Amazon, right? And translating Bibles so that people can get the message of the gospel. I'm like, are you telling me that brown people who live close to the equator in the Amazon forest, the forest that sings to itself, need people to come from the outside to help them understand spirit? Are you joking? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the fact that we've believed that for so long, yes, the only way you can know God is that these random strangers representing empire have to come in, rip your language off your tongue, give you a new language, give you a whole set of a book to read so you can know God. You can't, if when you talk about it, you're like, how the hell can't that make sense? You can't make it make sense. Right. And that's what we bought into. I mean, that's the whole white savior thing. You know, we've, we've bought into like, oh, the world needs us. The world needs our faith. The world needs our interpretation of the faith. And it's such, such a lie that we have bought into. There is a movie on Amazon prime. Yes. And I think it is called white savior. Tasha actually told me to watch it. It's highly recommend, especially for white people, but it goes into the faith and Dominique Gillard Gilliard has a role in it too, which I was so glad to see, but it is I so recommend it because it just shows about white Christianity and their role in all this and thinking we're the white savior to go in um, and the, you know, American exceptionalism and all of that. But, but yeah, and I've seen it, I've seen it play out and just like you have, and that is why we continue, continue to center whiteness and buy into that lie because so many people still think that's the truth. I mean, I was raised that way that it was. But I was raised that way too. Now let's talk about that, right? Like that's mm-hmm. how, so not only that's how whiteness centers itself, it doesn't even center itself for itself, for its own community, it centers itself for all of us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I feel like we're similar. There's a whole, I don't even know what to call myself these days. And we are not going to have this conversation about the term Christianity because we'll Okay, I am so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but <laughs> no kidding. I was in the shower thinking like, I'm not going to say I'm a Christian because I don't know if I am anymore. So we can have this conversation because I'm in a really weird place with my faith, but it goes right along with my anti-racism journey and white supremacy Mm -hmm. um, 
journey because they're so tightly aligned. They are. And I don't they think are. you can just, I don't think you can dismantle one without the other. Well, I really and don't I, think you and can. What, what I call it is my decolonial journey. That's what yes. I like. That's the, that's the umbrella. And yes. it has a lot of parts. So you're not alone. You know, like I guess about maybe it was, I will say maybe 2019. It happened during the last administration here in the United States. I was like, I don't know if I can be aligned with this, this term, especially because this term is also now becoming synonymous with white nationalism, white supremacy, the Republican party, yes. all things I don't buy into. And, but also feeling like if we use language to help people sort out each other, then it's the closest thing to represent what I would call my faith is. And so now basically I just ask people when they're talking about Christianity, I'm like, so why Jesus or not? Like that's usually like, that's like yes. That's Have you broken up with white Jesus yet? Yeah, right? <laughs> shout out, shout out to Andre Henry. But yes. yeah, like, so I'm just like, look, I am currently a subscriber to Palestinian Jesus. And that's all I know. That's all I got. I, I don't, I, the From Jesus, thing, yes. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And it's just interesting because people fight tooth and nail to defend whiteness um, to their peril. Right. And we saw it with Trump. I mean, I think we all just saw it plain. There's no denying it. And so like you, that whole Trump administration is when I started questioning, like, what the actual hell am I buying into here? It was yeah. just right out there for all of us to see what was already there. Yep. It was just in plain sight. Yeah. You're like, yeah. I, I bought tickets to this concert. And how do I just go ahead and exit? Or like, mm -hmm. this is not a, this is mm -hmm. not a good choice. Um, there's something else that she said that I really want us to get into. All right. Cause this is something that I've been saying, but no white woman has ever confirmed it for me. So I'm going to see okay. if you're going to confirm it. All right. I'm nervous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I try to do is like, let people know, like, you know, there's a theory called convergence interest theory. We're not going to get into that, but basically if you can see, if you can help people see that you have converging interests, then people are more likely going to uh, follow your like call to action. And so one of the things I let white people know was like, hey, if you don't want to get rid of rightness for like my sake, do it for your sake because whiteness harms white people, right? I mean, it empowers white people too. That's why it's still around, but also harms white people. And one of the things I say is it really makes real intimacy hard for white folks because relationships then are based off of hierarchy, power, status, right? And so I say, I don't know if white people could truly have intimate relationships as long as they're fully invested in whiteness. And to be more specific, I say, you probably don't even have any real friends, right? Like you probably can't get real deep friendship until you start to let go of this thing. Mm -hmm. And so you, you mentioned like losing friends, getting new friends. I'd love to hear your thoughts there. Um, I, I do agree with you. Now, would I have agreed with you with you three or four years ago? No. Um, but I agree with you because that has been my experience. And I heard your interview with Tasha where you guys talked about that a little. And I thought about it a lot because you said something like, I think that's why white women like to be friends with black women because we, we, we can be real. I mean, I know we all have our own stuff to work on, but I don't think 
Well, let me just go back. So yes, living in the Bible Belt, being highly involved with the church, probably having the most, what I thought were friends ever in my life. Um, now I look back because I've lost most of those friends and I'm like, they weren't, they weren't real friends. They were based on, you know, I went to an all white church, was all in, taught purity culture, taught all the BS, taught the striving, taught the submissive wife, all that crap. And was looked up to and the friendships were all based on that and it's such a superficial level of like who whose house is the nicest like oh I still feel a little bit guilt saying this because I don't want to be talking bad about people but um I just see what those friendships were based on a lot of superficial things you know who's you you feel like you have to look a certain way or your house has to look a certain way or you can't say the bad words or you have to especially in the church world of Christianity um and I think when I and I don't think I know when I started speaking out when I started my podcast started changing um I mean I pretty much was disowned or asked for their podcast to be removed by pretty much for everyone, but just a couple of people that um, I was friends with back in Oklahoma, because they were such surface level friendships. And when you start questioning, decentering whiteness, making people uncomfortable, white people don't like that at all. And they want to get out of that. And they also center themselves that it's about them. Like, that's what I was thinking too. Like, God, it was not, this is not about you, y'all. Like, just hold on to your feelings. Okay. Um, and I think, so when we moved after pretty much losing everybody, so 2020 was a very lonely, like, I think I've lost all my friends. I moved to a new city and I know zero people. And I remember when Tasha and I first met, she was like, well, I don't want to be your token white friend, or I'm sorry, your token black friend. And I was like, well, I actually don't even have any friends. So <laughs> this, is, this, is good, this is a good starting place, Tasha, if you're willing to like, let this white girl in. You're like, you're, like, um, you're not going to be my token black friend. You're going to be my friend. it was those other things like right. the only reason why you found out you had that in common with white lady becky is that because it started off that she was at the right church probably lived in a right neighborhood probably drove the right car so those things believe it or not probably were part of why the friendship even took place in the first place right right and you know that tasha and i talked about sorry to bring up tasha but we talked about that recently as like friendships going forward are not about like convenience but about intent and who who is worthy and in in the place of working on ourselves and deconstructing and decolonizing um and you know with that I look back at the person I was when I came into that church and I bought into all the white supremacy thing you know I'm straight republican but you know I'm all those things had I come in there as like a queer woman throwing around the f word taken up too much space, would I have been the person with all, all the friends? No, because that doesn't spit in that white box. No, you would have got an email, girl. <laughs> right, and so now I'm like- Well, actually they would have went to your husband first. They would have got, uh, yes. they would have tried to get him to get you in submission. Yes, <laughs> you are exactly right. And I sure as hell would not be leading Bible studies because, oh my goodness, she might rub off on these other white women. Um, 
Yes. So like I said, going through feeling like a midlife crisis, I'm like, who am I without white supremacy, without whiteness, trying to fit up to those standards? Um, you know, part of my story is having an eating disorder. And I know that's because trying to fit that look of like this skinny, tall white woman um, fit in that box of those European white standards. So it's like, what, what does it look like when you put all that stuff, not at the center, not what you're striving for? Um, it looks like losing friends that were, are striving for that, but, but there's so much freedom at the other, other side of it for you and for so many others and for our daughters. I mean, my daughters are a big focus of like, what's the world I want to leave for them or for their kids? I mean, I don't know who they're, they're going to marry or what their children, you know, it's like, it's so much deeper. And I just want people to see, it's not just about this right here and now it's so much more. I'm going to take us down a dark turn for a second. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to figure out the best way to say it. So I am currently um, unemployed and uh, for a, a reason that is good, right? The reason that is good. And part of my processing of that, um, changing my workspace, right? Part of the struggle that I'm currently dealing with it's feeling like trash. And I know that that's directly co connected, to, connected to the lie of capitalism, which is my value is rooted in what I could produce. Mm -hmm. And production looks like going to a job, working nine to five or plus hours. What, you know what I'm saying? Like being part of the machine. Mm -hmm. So even though I know that my value is not rooted in that thing, I know it intellectually right um and since we already kind of brought up the spiritual component i can say my values rooted that i've been created by god and they have made me wonderfully made you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so i know that but i've been listening to the lie for so long that lies feel a lot more like truth when you've heard the same lies over and over and over again so even when truth shows up, you're like, damn, you're unfamiliar, right? Mm -hmm. And I just want to pause that. You see what I'm saying? Like, so then you learn the truth. It's an intellectual component. Like now I know the truth here. My value is not tied to what I produce, but I have to figure out how to get heart knowledge of it mm -hmm. and then embody that. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's where, I mean, you know, I usually answer the question, what shapes me the most at the end of the, uh, the episode, but I guess in theory, I've answered that right now. Mm -hmm. What's shaping me the most today is really pulling down what I know and putting it in my heart and embodying that, that my value is mm -hmm. not attached to a job. Mm -hmm. And so I just named that because, I mean, you know, there are all these things that the trifecta Tasha and I I'm bringing up Tasha now too y'all I'm gonna put in the notes the episode that <laughs> the person that we're talking about is Tasha Hunter our friend our mutual friend she's a mutual truth-telling friend of ours so yes, yeah, yeah. We, we talk about her a lot. <laughs> she's like she's like the third she's like the third guest here and when she right, listens right. to this I want her to be so tickled mm -hmm. but um but yeah so how do we get the things we know in our hearts and in our bodies. So I really wanted to say that 
you know, whether it's how we look, right? You know, you're only valuable as, as skinny as you are, or mm-hmm. you're as you're only as valuable as what neighborhood you're living in. There are all these things that we've been taught to externalize as our value, but it keeps that trifecta alive, white capital, like uh, white supremacy, capitalism, and patriarchy. It keeps the trifecta going. So I just wanted to name that because when you mentioned that, I just feel like there might be somebody who, when you say that eating disorder is like, woo. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to take a moment to say most of the violent things in our lives that we have experienced have been tied to, uh, if not all three of these things, you know, they usually work in tandem. Yes. Right. And that's why I do think white people especially need to understand because I think they hear that word white supremacy and they think of you know guys with white hoods on and just racist slurs but it's not like this country was built on white supremacy so many of the standards that we strive to and the boxes that we want to fit in and what we want to attain are that I mean like I posted yesterday just about the whole purity culture thing I mean we don't even know, we don't even realize just how embedded it is in our veins and our lifestyle. Um, like you said, you hear a lie for so long that you, you believe it is truth because that's what you're living. And I think that's why, you know, the, the anti-racism, they can start, it's, it's, it's daily. It's not like you do it and you're done. Like it is daily, daily living it, daily learning, daily being open to being confronted and being, being told and, re-examining yourself and I think having the conversations I mean for me that is again why I go back to like I'm I pretty much where I'm learning from is from women who look different than me because I've, I've learned too long from women that look like me or men that are white and I'm going to keep hearing the same story if I continue to do that and continue believing those same lies so learning from black women has been huge for me I mean Marcy Walker was on my podcast gosh the 2019 was when she was first on and that is where I really started my eyes opening and learning from her and I was like wait what is wait I haven't even ever heard all of this stuff you know um and for me also this is kind of going off but part of my journey of the bible bell and when I really started opening up and questioning 20 2018 2019 is when I really started like oh my gosh what what have I been taught in my learning but my daughter had an amazing history teacher that taught her real history and grace would come home every night that she had history and tell us like truths about you know the trail of tears and christopher columbus all that bull crap that i didn't learn the right thing about that just you grow up in this whiteness thinking no this is just how it is and but the biggest thing she taught us about that her teacher taught her about was the tulsa race massacre so i remember whatever two or three years ago when we were living in tulsa being like wait what happened here and they're not even required to teach this in school. And I mean, now we've, most of us have heard about it because of the hundredth anniversary, but that was the big point for me where I was like, wait, what is, what is um, actually the country's true history and what have we been trying to hide and what is whiteness said and compared to reality? So I kind of went off there, Kina, so I'm sorry. <laughs> this is a no apology zone. You didn't do anything okay. wrong. Okay. There's just much like you know I'm like there's so many layers I could keep going through and you know in my own 
reality, it's like so many things just came together of like an awakening for me several years ago of, of and, and really just in a burst of questioning it all. Like we talked about the Trump presidency, my own faith, um, you know, living in near Tulsa. So just so many things came together at once for me that it was just like a total meltdown of everything I thought to be true to what what actually is is true and what do I need to start questioning and you know the eating disorder like people could be like how what does that have to do with white supremacy but it does so and I just think so many people don't understand that like this is just not all about like you go back going back to what you said earlier about white people need to see that whiteness is harming them too it is why why are we have these high stress levels and heart attack I mean all of this stuff um but again, I don't want to center white people, but maybe that little bit will make pe white people understand like it's hurting all of us. You know, we're, we're talking about centering whiteness here. And I'm so thoughtful of the fact that you're being thoughtful about the centering. And I don't think there's no right answer here, right? What we're needing people to do is build an intuition. Mm -hmm. One of the things that whiteness teaches people is there's a correct answer all the time. Build that in with the binary thinking that is connected to all colonial projects. It's either black or white, wrong or right, uh, tall or Say or that short. 10 times fast. <laughs> tall or skinny, no, right. tall or short, fat or skinny. Nothing, like nothing lives in between. Mm -hmm. And so when people finish this episode, if we're doing it right, there might be more questions and answers. And I'm okay with that because there has to be some intuition. Part of divesting from whiteness is getting that back mm -hmm. because these systems teach us not to trust ourselves. And I, let me just also say this because people will be like, well, Derek Keita, pick a side. Which one is it? You want us to trust ourselves or don't trust ourselves? Because I always tell white people, don't trust your gut because your gut is racist. Mm -hmm. You can start trusting your gut when you get that racism and that white supremacy out your body. Mm -hmm. But as long as you still got like 80% full of that shit, don't trust your gut. Mm -hmm. Don't trust it. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's your, your gut is racist, all right? <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is there is an ancestral knowing and we're shouting out all our friends. My friend Ileana, um, so powerful. But she talks about like white people are gonna have to re-indigenize themselves. Well, that we all will. And that is not my work. So follow her. I'll put her in the show notes too. Yeah, I do. Right? But there is something, like I tell people all the time, your, your ancestors were something else before they were white. Most, most people were. All right? Mm -hmm. So there's an ancestral knowing there that is intuitive about reading you know, the, the sun and the moon and then like nature and the environment and figuring out where to migrate to, where to right. find food, how to collect, who to be in community with. There, there is an intuitive knowing there, but these systems have divorced people from it. There's a body knowledge, but these systems have divorced us from it. And so there's so much we've lost in these systems that our foreparents trusted in, we've got mm -hmm. to get that back. And so the latest thing I've been telling people about is time. 
right? This concept of linear time, it is a it's a colonial project. You know, people think that we've always seen time linearly. No, that's not the truth, you know? And what COVID did, and I think there's a lot of lessons of COVID. It just feels like, because we're in the thick of it, it feels weird to say it, you know? We're still in COVID. But it gave us this opportunity to like even rethink our relationship with time. Because it was like, do I get to judge the person who the meeting started at 1230, but they came in at 1240 in the Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. But like, this is a person who is probably being a a wife and a mother and a third grade teacher now. And so how do we build that margin for our humanity? And so I'm just using that as an example that these systems create an ideal. So I'm bringing this back to the eating disorder, not to harp on it, but I'm just saying, because people might really need these dots connected for them. Mm-hmm. There is an ideal beauty standard that whiteness has created, just like whiteness has created an ideal time to be on time. Right. And so when you start to investigate that, you realize, wait, the BMI is some white shit anyway. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. is. We're not going to go into that, but the BMI. You can. Made up. It is. It absolutely it's is. It's a made up thing. You get what I'm saying? To sell magazines, no less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there goes that capitalism component, right? Mm-hmm. We have to create this ideal beauty standard so that we can use that as we print magazines and all these Harper's magazines and Women's yeah. Digest and all these magazines that we want people to sell. But the only yeah. way they can buy these things is we have to make them buy into the mentality that supports the enterprise. Yeah. Like there is no cover girl when we all have self-esteem. Right. Right. And it's, I mean, that is shifting, trying to, I guess, but compared to what it was, but yeah, definitely. And I'm sure you too, growing up, it was just all white, blonde, skinny women. And it's like, why did I dye my hair blonde for so much of my life? You know, because you're trying to fit this standard of what society says. I remember when Shay came on my podcast She said, you know, I thought she's from the Bahamas. And she said, I thought I was beautiful. She's a black woman from the Bahamas Said I thought I was beautiful until I came to America. How Mm. sad is that? Yeah. For me, it was growing up. I can barely chemically relax in my hair Mm -hmm. to make it straight. Mm -hmm. Because y'all can't see it, but Andrea can see it. It grows out my head like this. This <laughs> it does not grow out my head straight. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And using a chemical to make it straighter, right? Something that lots right. of black people have done for a long time now, decades. And because we we've been taught like straight hair is professional hair, it's tidy hair, it's the hair that gets you the job, right? Yeah. Um, and I I, I read this, uh, I found this article in a, in a Black-owned newspaper. And I think that's important to say here. It was a Black-owned newspaper that said relax so they can relax. And it was an article. So, I kid you not. I wish I could make this shit up. And it was an article that was advertising for, at that point it was called Lie or something. But the point is, it was like, hey, if you want to make white people a little bit more comfortable with you than straighten your hair. But part of why I started divesting from whiteness, and uh, I'm not going to get into the, the all of this in this episode, this is I realized it didn't matter how white it, how much I was whiting, <laughs> right? The performance of whiteness, 
I was still black. It wasn't going to change. No matter how straight my hair was, how much I sounded like a white person, how many degrees I had, at the end of the day, I could still get it. Right? And so I was like, it ain't working. Right. But more more importantly, I don't want this to work. If the only way that I can be considered hireable or productive or even like, what do you call it, a functional member of society is to model my life by white standards and norms, I'm I'm out. And and I think, I mean, I think that's such a good point and something I've thought about too is even though I complain, not complain, I don't know, just voicing how, yeah, I've, I've tried to fit those white standards, but it was a privilege to be able to fit in those boxes because white women can like, but as a black woman, you can't like you, you, you have the hair that's not going to be straight and silky. You have the bigger buzz. I mean, you, you're not, you just can't ever fit in that box. And I think that's why so many white women spend their life like, overcompensate like trying to be enough not good enough and so many white women finally get to the point where you do like just f it i can't i can't do it and you guys are on this train of figuring out who you actually are well before white women who are at this superficial trying to fit in that box level for so long because we can and i mean i know for me i i I played by the rules i i fit in the box i did what i was supposed to high achieving and what really tipped a little bit for me with the religion, I know, is when our church, I got reprimanded for speaking, for teaching men. Our church was like, men, women cannot be pastors. And I was like, wait, what? And they told my daughter, you can't ever be a pastor because you're, you're a woman. And so for me, I was like, wait a second, I played by all the rules and I can't do that. And that's when I started questioning everything and it all just started unraveling. But again, white women, we can fit in those boxes to an extent. But black women, you can't. And I think we and need to recognize we, our privilege in that. And when we do, it could become really life-threatening when yeah. we try. There's yeah. one thing, there's one more thing I want us to get to before okay. we end today's episode. We have gone all over the place. So. We have. We have do you gone. understand? You have not asked me one question that you told me you were going to ask me. I'm like, these are not the questions she gave me. <laughs> I, I, I did the homework and look, she changed the assignment. It's exactly it. You're trying to make me divest from this whiteness of being prepared. Is this part of your plan? (laughs) I have notes on your answers, but I'm okay. I'm going with it. (laughs) I was going with the organic places we went to though, right? That's right. That's true. Okay. So here's the thing. I was recently on the phone with a friend. Oh, for the sake of the story, I'm going to say my white friend. Okay. And I basically said to my friend, I said, the truth of the matter is, even with your best intentions, even when you're doing good work on the behalf of people of color, brown, indigenous folks, um, your very presence could be harmful or triggering. Mm-hmm. All right. So I would love to know your thoughts on that. The, the very fact is that you as a white woman, you show up in a space it could be a protest, it could be a community meeting, it could be a school board meeting in support of black and brown lives. But your very presence could be triggering. What does that mean to you? How do you feel hearing that? Um, right now, when I hear that, I think, well, yeah, of course I get that. But if I'm gonna be honest, three years ago, I wouldn't have got that. Even 
even 2019, I remember going to Evolving Faith Conference and they announced they have a BIPOC room. And I thought, well, why would they need their own room? You know, and, and that was because I didn't understand it all. I was just starting to learn and deconstruct and decolonize. But I think if you don't understand or agree with what you just said, that you haven't done enough of hearing Black women's stories, learning about the trauma, learning about real history. Because I think once you dive in and know that, you can understand that. Um, I, I am a very empathetic person. So I feel like almost too empathetic sometimes that I feel like I feel people's pain. And I know um, even when I started to have relationships with black people, I remember asking Marcy, like, do you even want a white friend? Cause I can see if you just don't. Like once I started like learning history, I'm like, I don't think I'd ever want white people around. Like, I don't care if you think your ancestors own slaves or not, own slaves or not, like just you, I, I just don't want it around. So I totally understand that and think that if you don't understand that or believe that to be true, you have a lot, lot, lot more learning to do. Um, I, and I thought about that too, like how to get that. Cause I've, I've, I've had thoughts about that. Even when we did like the Feb, last February did the black history month and I had the three black women on and I just thought, should I even be here? Like, um, and again, I think that goes back to the empathy and understanding that, that deep, deep trauma that is felt. Um, the book, My Grandmother's Hands is such a good insight to understanding that trauma and triggers. And, you know, I think about it, if you are, if you're a woman, a white woman that is, you know, has been raped or sexually assault, like by a man, I mean, we know not, maybe not all men, I don't know if I should say that, but would you want to be in a group of white men working out your stuff if the white men had been your perpetrator? Probably not. So it's kind of a long answer, but I, I get it and I'm fully on board with that. And um, I think as white women, especially, we need to really be aware of that and, and ask those questions, like have the relationship enough that you can ask, like, is my present here harmful or hurting or is it helpful? and be okay with the answer because you're centering yourself again if you're thinking like, if your feelings are hurt from that, that you shouldn't be there. Last moment here. Okay. For white people who are starting to realize they have racialized experiences, because they do, who are wanting to learn how to decenter themselves, where do they start? Oh my gosh, where do they start? This is a hard, I mean, for me, I think it really is being very intentional learning from black voices. I wanna say black women specifically, because I think when you look at this country and the hierarchy, who, who, is, who is the considered by this country standards the lowest? I mean, it would be black trans women, but black women especially. And I think if we can learn from black women and value black women, then, oh my goodness, the, the potential and the work that um, the things that we can accomplish if we all would just learn from black women, I think in a womanist views, I mean, I can't give a specific answer because I don't think there's one formula. I mean, I just think quit listening to white voices. And one of the books that I will say, if I'm going to give a specific answer that is my go-to, which again, I started, I started reading, gosh, right when it came out, probably 2019, um, was Me and White Supremacy. So I just wanna suggest this book for starters for everybody. Um, and I literally have, like keep going back to this book because it's, 
it's like we said earlier, it is a process. It's not like you just read it and you're done or you go to a protest and you're done or start buying from a black woman and you're done. Like it is a lifelong dismantling because we still live in this world where whiteness is king and we're all thinking we got to live up to it. And so I think it's just really being intentional, you know, um, starting with that and being really honest too. Like if you're at the point where you're like, I, I'm not racist or I'm not trying to write supremacy, like, mm, you got, you got to go farther back and really start being honest with yourself about what you've bought into and the harm that you have played. Even as far as I've come, I still know I play a role in lift lifting harmful systems. I mean, I, it won't be done until I'm dead but I hope the next generation will do better. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was really enriching and thoughtful. And you're right, there's not one answer. There's not one road. There's multiple paths as we build this intuition, mm -hmm. as we create new muscle memories for changing the world. I always tell white people, in particular, in relationship to racial justice issues, hey, you spent so many time, so much time not thinking about how you're racist that you haven't spent hardly any time thinking about how you are, right? Because the worst thing you can tell a white person or even hint at is that they're racist. And they're like, I'm mm -hmm. not a racist. Right. And so right. you got to really shift the question. And instead of being like, I'm not a racist, it's how am I racist? And right. I feel like we have to normalize that. We have to normalize that. How am I racist? How am I upholding white supremacy? Right, right. How am I maintaining white culture in a way that is, is infringing upon everybody's ability to live and be human? Yeah. And I, I, I think especially Christians, white Christians in this country, like that is my biggest, oh, my biggest plea, like, please examine it. Because I just know living in the Bible Belt and then the most conservative Trump supporting part of the country, that they think that they're not racist, they're good people, whatever. Like, so I really want people to examine their faith and what, what they have internalized about Christianity and white Christianity. Um, I think that's a big, big part of it. And I could go on for another episode talking about that, but I know well, we're getting close on time. Yes, yes. We'll, we'll make that our part. No, 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 no. You've got more voices to hear from than me. So I no. just, again, Kina, like really honored that you would even hey. want me to take up airspace on your podcast. And I do want to tell people if they did not listen to your episode with Letty, I just listened to it last night. Please go back and listen to that. Letty is one of my favorites. She's been on mine several times. And every time she's on, she says new things. And it's like, Letty is another good starting point to start learning and Patreon communities of black women. Um, yeah. Yeah. You live your best life. Thank you for being here at the Divesting for Minus season one. And we'll talk later. All right. Thank you, Kina. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Divesting from Whiteness podcast created by my friend, Kina Reed. Kina is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and educator. She's also the curator behind the Divesting from Whiteness podcast and platform, as well as the Anti-Blackness Reader platform. Divesting from Whiteness was created to start a dialogue that gives folks tools to divest from whiteness and white supremacy culture. You can find it across all major platforms and remember to do good works. <laughs>